This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Ruben Luna. Welcome. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. What is your primary role in the line dance community? You know, I think I've been dubbed the personality. personality. And one of my things that I contributed is I started to find a way to get the line dancing community together outside of the dance floor. So what I did is I started a happy hour, did it at this event. And they used to have them before, but not to the extent that I wanted to take it. So I went and I got the biggest suite I can get, and it wasn't here, it was at a different hotel at the time, Riviera. And they said that you couldn't mix instructors with the dancers because it, w- it wouldn't work. The instructors need the free time, dancers you know, are gonna be trying to occupy their time when they wanna relax. Why prove everybody wrong? It was the greatest mix of people getting together outside the dance floor that just got along. The instructors loved it, everybody loved it. So we kept growing it and growing it and growing it. Every year we would do that. And then they became known as the personality guy that I would just bring people together. And I can't tell you how many countries that we bridged the gap and got people to get to know each other and make long-lasting relationships. The last happier I had about 100 people from the event that showed up, every instructor, tons of dancers from all over the world. It was a beautiful thing. It was like so much fun. So my contribution is to bring people together. And I will do that anytime I find somebody who's new at line dancing, I will introduce them to as many people that can introduce them so we can bring them into the family. I've heard that uh, as a way of describing the line dance community as a line dance family. They are. Once you're in, it doesn't take much. All you have to do is have the passion and desire to want to dance and you are automatically accepted. It's a great community. I, if you're an outdoors person or if you ever hike or if you've ever camped, there's a certain camaraderie that goes with the camping community. You're there, you go to your neighbor, you have to borrow a skillet, you have to do whatever. Everybody's so friendly. You go hiking on the trails, in nature. People are so friendly and nice. Line dancing is that. Mm. So it, it's a great group of people and it's something that everybody has in common when they come here, which is music, dancing, socializing. And I've never met so many older people that I, you would not be able to guess their age. 80-year-olds that you think are 55 because mm-hmm. they've been dancing all their life or because of the social aspect. They're doing something right. And if people don't believe or understand it, they just need to come to an event like this here at the Las Vegas Explosion mm-hmm. and they will understand. They'll get it. How were you brought into the community originally? Great story. <laughs> My wife talked me into going to take a <laughs> dance class. Did not want to do it. All her friends were doing it. They had um, hired an instructor from a local club to come to the garage with their husbands and her friends. They were taking private classes. She wanted to go do it because it was fun. Their friends were talking, raving about a good exercise. I didn't want not. I didn't want to do it. I thought of line dancing as country. Mm. Now I don't mind country, but not 100%. I like a wide range of music. So that was one of the things I didn't want to do. So she kept after me for weeks and weeks and weeks. Finally, I decided, I said, look, I'm going to go to show you I, su- I love you, I support you, but if I don't enjoy it, please don't ask me to go again. Mm-hmm. So the day came, and I was dragging my feet. I'm upstairs. She says, come on, we're going to be late. We're gonna be, All right, I'm coming, I'm coming. Decided to go. We went, and I remember the first dance I learned was called Crab Bucket, which was not a country dance. Mm-hmm. Then I learned another another dance that was not country at all. So I said, why are we not doing country music? They said, oh, line dance isn't country anymore. 10%'s country, it's everything but. I said, oh, okay. So we learned like three dances, got home, wife was asking, so how did you enjoy it? I said, eh, it was okay. So next week she goes, well, we're gonna go, right? I said, yeah, I guess I'll go, you know, it wasn't that bad. So 
when it came to getting ready to go, I was sitting on the couch waiting a half hour ahead of time, waiting for her. And she goes, oh, you're a little excited. You're ready to go. I said, oh, no, no, not at all. You know, <laughs> I, I was denying it. Mm. So that led to getting invited to go to my first country bar and dancing with a friend. So I sat the whole night waiting for the one dance I knew. And I went out there and danced. And I'd sit back saying, this isn't fun. I want to be like them. I want to be out there all the time. Mm-hmm. So then I got obsessed by it. And then the wife started, it, her, the wife and I started dancing, not only there in the garage, went to one club, found out they danced at another club. Now we're dancing three nights a week. Started to do a little couple stuff, two-step and whatnot. Went to a four, uh, another club. So now we're dancing four nights a week. Went to five nights a week. Then people started saying, oh, wow, if you like this, you should come to this class. So I went to another class. They're doing more advanced things that weren't being done in the club. So we kept going. I went to my first event, and they had a choreography competition. Mm. And I said, well, what is this? And I watched it, and I said, that looks like fun. So I said, well, how do you get involved with this? And they said, well, you just have to put together a dance, and you submit it, and you can compete. And then there's awards. I said, okay, well, where's the next one? Happened to be Las Vegas Dance Explosion. Mm-hmm. So that was about seven years ago. So I created a dance, entered it, and... I competed, so didn't know what to expect, and I made it to a dance-off. My dance was chosen along with another fella, and one of the two dances were going to win. So in front of the 18 choreographers that were there, they all had to judge us. We both danced, and they had to decide which was better. So I did it, ended up winning the my first dance, first competition I ended up winning. Which dance was that? It was called Dance Right Now by the Pussycat Dolls. Hmm. Never released it. Hmm. Never taught it anywhere. Just because I didn't know any better. I just choreographed it for the hell of it. Mm-hmm. So then what I did after that, I said, well, are there any more competitions? They said, oh yeah, there's tons of them all over the world. And this happened. I said, okay, when's the next one? It was in Dallas. Mm-hmm. So I competed in Dallas. They entered three different dances, a couple of different divisions because they had country, non-country, beginner, intermediate, now if you could choreograph dances of all levels. So I competed and I ended up winning again. I won two different categories, took second and another one. I said, okay, that was pretty easy. Now what? They go, oh, you don't understand. That's the UCWDC event. I go, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. They said, that's the United Country Western what Dance Association or whatever. Mm-hmm. And said, so what makes that special? They go, well, if you qualify in three of these events, you can compete at Worlds. I said, what's Worlds? They go, World Championship of line dance choreography and line dancing and whatever. I said, they have a World Championship? They said, yeah. I said, okay. Well, I want to do that. How do you do it? They said, well, you got to qualify three. I said, when's the next one? So I competed again, qualified, took another first place. So I got my third one and I ended up qualifying. So then after my first year, the end of my first year, going to the second year, I qualified, I went to the World Championships. It was held in Orlando, Florida. And I said, no, I'm going to give this a shot. And I entered five dances in three different categories. I was hoping for one of my dances to make a top five. At the end of the competition, all five of my dances made top five, and I got a first place. I got my first World Championship belt buckle. So I I said, wow, that was great. This is awesome. And so then talking to other people, I said, oh, that's nothing. Well, what do you mean that's nothing? I'm like, I thought I did pretty good. They go, oh, UCWC doesn't have any competition. If you're going to be a choreographer, you have to win in Chicago or Boston, or you have to win in Raleigh. I'm like, oh, great, okay. So then the next competition was Boston, so I entered. And he said, well, okay, i got to show these guys I can do it. So I take first place. He said, okay, Boston. Oh, that's Boston. That's not Chicago. <laughs> I'm like, good God. In the meantime, I'm qualifying for Worlds again. Mm-hmm. So Raleigh was the next big event. And rather than compete, I was asked to teach. Evidently, it was a coveted spot. I didn't realize that Raleigh Marathon, which is the longest running event, was a great place to teach. And I started saying, guys, I can't compete because I got asked to teach. And they were like, how did you get invited to teach? I go, I don't know. I got a phone call and I'm teaching. So then they told me I couldn't compete. But if I wanted to compete in the professional level, I could. I didn't want to do it. They forced me to do it, forced me, you know, twist my arm. I said, all right, fine. I took second place. And I said, wow, okay, that was cool. So Chicago came. Now, by this time, I've qualified for World. I'm in Chicago. And they said, oh, that's the big event. Um, took first place. 
So I was like, all right, now what, guys? They go, okay, that's, that's pretty good. You've impressed us. So then I competed in Worlds a couple months later. This time it was at the Opryland Hotel. Again, I entered five dances, hoping just to place in one of them. And um, all five dances placed. This time I took a third, a second, two first places in two different categories. So now I had three belt buckles in three different divisions. And I said, now what, guys? They go, all right, you're good. You proved it. <laughs> I said, okay, that was kind of cool. So then that catapulted me into teaching. Uh, after all the publicity I got from all the different competitions, then I started my teaching career, getting on the circuit. And because of that, I've been able to uh, teach all over the world. I've been to England and, and been invited to teach in South Africa and Malaysia and um, was in the Dominican Republic this year, Cancun and all over the United States. So it's been a blessing. And if it wasn't for my wife dragging me there, which I didn't want to go, none of this would have happened. So I hope that answers the question oh, in a yeah. roundabout way. Definitely. Now, it sounds like when you started choreographing, you really just had the, the background of like the dances that you knew. How did you gain a toolkit for, for putting together a completely new dance? One of the things that I have an advantage over, when I was younger, when I went to college, I took a modern dance class. And that catapulted me into another level. Um, I was working at a health club when I was going to school, and I met some gals that were taking jazz, tap, and ballet. They were older, they were in a dance company, and they wanted me to go audition. I did not want to do that. So eventually they got me talked into going to take a class. I'm a young guy, I'm single, there's a lot of women. Hey, no problem, not gonna take much to go. So I went, little did I know they set me up. The instructor was checking me out to see if I would be suitable for their dance company. Well, at the time they needed guys, especially in ballet, to do all the lifts and whatever. So I was offered a scholarship. So I received a dance scholarship and I went, part of the scholarship was I get all the lessons for free, but I have to dance in the company. On Saturday they had rehearsals, they would compete, they would do different performances. So I agreed to that. Um, the first year I found out that just like line dancing, they have different competitions. Well, they had a competition called Mr. Dance of America. And I asked the teacher, could I compete in that? They said, well, you have to win Mr. Dance of California. If you win there, then you get to go to Mr. Dance of America. I was like, okay. So she prepped me, got me going. And the end of the first year, year and a half, I competed and I won in Mr. Dance of Southern California. So from there, I got to go to Worlds. At that time, it was in Washington, D.C. where they held it. So 50 guys from all over the country that competed. And I placed in the top 10. Real stiff competition, but I received four, four more scholarships. I received a scholarship to Boston, Connecticut, Las Vegas, and New York. So I took the scholarship to New York. So Mr. Dance of America had come there that year, the year before. Uh, Miss Dance of America came from there. Uh, Mr. Dance of America two years prior came from there. So the instructor was doing something right, so I took that, that scholarship. So I went there, he prepped me, and I was ready to go to Broadway um, to go dance out there, and ended up getting taken on tour with a dance company. So I got to tour for four years, traveling around, and that's where I got my musicality, my uh, ability to choreograph, put steps to music, even though it was jazz and funk and pop or whatever, it applies to the line dance world. So I had an advantage over most people. So that's kind of where I got my arsenal. The other part was when I started line dancing, because it's different, uh, feedback from the professionals. As I competed, I made it a point to go speak to the choreographers to find out what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. And in time, I became friends with them. So then when I didn't understand or I didn't know anything, I'd shoot them an email, or if I saw them in an event, I'd ask them, hey, can I bend your ear for five, 10 minutes? They said, sure, and then I'd ask questions. I just kept asking, 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 until I built my arsenal of my tools so I'm able to choreograph on my own. So that's probably how I got, I received my, or how I developed my skill set in order to be able to do it. So I had some training in the background, plus I was um, not shy in speaking to the various choreographers to pick their brains and learn as much as I can from them. Have you collaborated with any of them? I have many of them. Um, uh, my first dance that actually, as you well know, there's the uh, World Line Dance Newsletter mm -hmm. that has a survey that comes out every week and they have the top 50 dances that are being done in the world. Um, 
So everybody wants that coveted spot at number one, just like the Billboard 100 for music, they have it for line dancing. And one of the first collaborations I did was with a gal named Bracken Alice Potter, uh, J.P. Potter, who you may know as a DJ, who's actually working the event. So her and I uh, collaborated. We did a first dance together. First time I, I partnered with somebody, it was called Hey Soul Sister. It went to number one for nine weeks in a row. It was the number one dance in the world. So wow. that was pretty cool. So I got hooked with that. And then I started partnering with many people, including Jill Babinick, um, who we've had a, a hit called A Little Party. Um, and a lot of the people I've learned from, I mean, that's a great way to learn, um, exchange styles and, and techniques and whatnot. So I, I have been able to collaborate with many choreographers, um, probably a dozen or so, and most of them very successful. So it, it's, it's fun and I highly recommend it to any new choreographers um, to ask because most of them are willing to, to work with you. So that's, that's a great way to get into choreography. Are there any uh, instructors who have influenced the way that you teach? Maybe uh, yes, methods that absolutely. you kind of, especially um, First of all, I learned from all of them. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to do is learn from the best. Mm -hmm. And the best at the time was Joe Thompson Szymanski, Michelle Burton, um, Rachel McEnany, um, Scott Blevins. You know, you watching these people, when I wasn't teaching or taking a class, I'd go to their class and sit and observe. I would just watch what they did. And then I made it a point to learn from every choreographer. So I would just sit there and watch the instructors, choreographers, and take little bits and pieces from every one of them to develop my own style. And that gave me the confidence once I've seen them. And then having some of them sit into your class and complimenting you that you've done something right. Well, I've done something right because I've taken the best of the best and incorporated it into my style. and. Consequently, I've become a fairly decent teacher. What is your style, would you say? I believe that there's different ways. There's visual, there's articulate, there's cerebral. I mean, everybody has different ways of learning. Some people like the musicality and the phrasing. Some people like numbers called out to steps. So one of the things I make sure is I cater to both sets of people. The ones that want to learn numerically and other people that want to learn by steps and other people that want to learn visually. Now there's an art to doing that. When you're teaching, people need to see the steps. You have to over-exaggerate and emphasize the steps you're doing. If you do it small, like if you were in a dance floor, people are not going to be able to see and recognize what the steps are. So you have to make sure you over-emphasize it. Also you have to make sure that you use your numbers, you also use your phrasing, you call out the actual steps and you keep going through all three different styles. And that's what you would do it. So I, I think I cater to every type of person, the way they learn, from visual to numbers to the uh, verbal commands. And so I, I don't know what you would call the style. Um, Well-rounded, patient, I'm definitely patient. Um, I, I teach at a, at a pace to not necessarily the slowest person, I'd say to 90% of the class, and then I move on. Um, I've been told that I'm a very good instructor because I pay attention to the students. I'm not up there just on stage listening to my own voice. I'm actually watching the students and making sure I can spot when they're having trouble with what they are or not doing. So I spend the extra time. I make sure I go and I give extra special attention to certain people because you can spot that. Go down on the floor. I don't just stay up on the stage. I will move around so people can see me really close for the visual people that need to see it visually. So I, I think I incorporate all different methods in order to create my own style. Do you have a, a style of choreography, would you say? If, would people be able to identify your dances? Just yes. I, I think uh, I fall into two different categories. Latin. So they can recognize my style because Latin, I like you know the hips, the cha-cha rhythms and whatnot, or anything Latin, or pop. So partial, um, you know, I would call it age-appropriate funk, hmm. if you will. So top 40 music, uh, those would be the two styles that I fall into. Not that I can't do nightclub twos, waltzes, which I do, I love dancing them, but that's not my niche in choreography. Uh, people, if you were to ask them, they're gonna say, yeah, he's more pop funk, or Latin, that's where I excel. And also novelty. I, I do real well novelty showpieces that you would see 
uh, performed or something you might see on Broadway because of my jazz tap ballet training in the background, I tend to do well with that choreography as well. Where would people find a source of um, steps? Like when you're when you mentioned you're calling out steps, people might not necessarily know what things are called. Where can they learn? Correct, and, and that is a good point. So when you're calling out the steps, depending on the level of class, now there's a certain expectation for an intermediate dancer that they've already gone through the beginner stage and they've learned what a step right to right side, step left behind right, step right to the right side, where you're actually calling out each step, you could just say that's a sailor step and they intuitively already know that. Now, the World Line newsletter, Max Perry, who is an icon in line dancing, he is Mr. Line Dance, started when line dancing originated, along with Joe Thompson and Scott Blevins, has written several articles. He actually has one posted in the World Line Dance newsletter, and several other people have it for dancers that want basic terminology. And it will, it'll break down uh, the basic steps of a sailor step, a coaster step, uh, a triple or a shuffle or a chasse. Um, it has that, so you can start to learn the basic terminology. That's one good place to do it. Another good place to do it is Copper Knob Line Dance, uh, Line Dancer Magazine. Go out there and print out step sheets. You print out step sheets and you're going to start to read them. Just read what it's saying. If you read the header, it's going to tell you. Triple to the right, rock, recover, do whatever. So you don't know what that is. Well, all you have to do is you look at the paragraph below and it breaks down the step. So if the top line is saying triple, you look down and it says, okay, step right to the right side, left to the right, step right to the right side. Okay, that's what a triple is. So that's a good way to educate yourself on the different terminology and what certain steps mean. Now, that being said, because line dancing is kind of a mishmash of all different styles. Ballrooms involved, hip hop's involved, you have the European style, you have the American style, you have people that have been cloggers, tap dancers, jazz, modern dancers, some that only have learned from the line dance world. You're going to have certain steps being called various different things. For an example, a triple, or a cha-cha, or, or a chasse, or a lindy. They're all the same step. It depends. Personally, it's the genre that dictates what the step is called. But depending on your back, dance background, that's what people will call it. And it's regionalized because when I go teach around the country, around the world, I will tell people, I'll say, okay, guys, we're going to do this step. Step right to right side, left next to right, right to right side, left behind right, rock, recover. What do you guys call that? Mm. And then you'll hear people saying, oh, it's a chasse, chasse, chasse. Okay, we're going to call it a chasse. Other places you go and say, oh, that's a triple. That's a shuffle. Mm. Well, a shuffle in reality is a tap dance term where you shuffle rock, shuffle ball change, right? And you have some places that are very sophisticated because they do have a dance background. You can't use shuffle because they understand the difference. So that's the only caveat I have. You can learn from step sheets, from articles written, but keep in mind that there are multiple terms for the same dance steps and it's going to be regionalized, so be flexible and open-minded when you're learning these steps. Are there any steps that you tend to err toward that you just really like the feeling of in your body, whether you're doing them in your dances or somebody else's? Um, I'm partial to turns. I like doing turns. Uh, problem with turns is that you will automatically make a dance into an intermediate, intermediate advance. Mm. And if you want to cater to the mainstream dancer, you have to have certain steps in there that will be more doable by the high beginner, improver level, or low intermediate level. So a lot of the steps that I would enjoy doing brings my dances up to intermediate advanced, and I'm gonna have a limited market. So I have to be careful and decide what it is that I'm doing in order to um, choreograph. Now I can. One moment. No. Oh, actually, it's still recording. Ha! Huh. Uh, we have another visitor to our table. Visit? No, come on, Trudy. Trudy. Uh, <laughs> one, one, one of my dance friends from Orange County, who uh, we take class together. I uh, haven't seen her since I've been here at Las Vegas Explosions Big Event. We have 1,500 people that showed up. First opportunity I've actually had, hi, to say Trudy, or first time I've had, uh, first opportunity I've had 
to say hi to Trudy. Trudy, I want you to meet Christopher. Christopher's from Northern California, and he's uh, he's got a podcast that he does, among many different things. Uh, very bright person. He actually has an algorithm that he's uh, writing and then soon I, I imagine he's going to do this where it's going to eliminate choreographers altogether because this algorithm is going to piece together steps to music that automatically is going to choreograph on its own with things that I've thought about very progressive he's actually doing it which is very impressive so thanks for stopping by and appreciate you seeing you nice to meet you and you as well alright and we're back <laughs> Uh, are there any dances that you don't do that just, uh, I mean, they, maybe they've gotten popular, but uh, that just don't uh, feel like the, the sort of movements yeah, you want to make? Yeah, there, there, there are two, I, I put it in two different categories. There's some dances that, in my opinion, don't flow, that are not good dances, but the music is good, and the average mainstream person will do the dance because they like the music, and I won't do it because I don't like the way the dance feels. So there are dances like that. And a lot of them tend to go into the country bars mm -hmm. uh, because they're more into the music, not necessarily the steps. Mm -hmm. And the other one will be uh, hardcore hip hop that has a lot of uh, hand movements like Guyton Monday, who is world known for, uh, he's the top uh, choreographer in the hip hop category. And some of his stuff is really made for younger folks, kids, uh, as opposed to me, so I, I would shy away for that type of choreography and dancing it. Are there any dances that you think should have become more popular? That Tons. Just, happens right. all the time. Happens all the time. Uh, right now that we have so many new choreographers, so many dances that come out every single day. Hundreds of dances literally come out every day, every week. It's harder and harder to get your dance noticed. Um, now you're re really relying on timing and luck. Uh, there's many dances I've seen that should, by all means, be hits, but they get overlooked because there are so many dances that come out, people might identify it as a good dance and they'll put it on the back burner and say, okay, I want to get back to this, this is a good dance, but by that time, by the time their back burner becomes the front burner, there's 500 other dances that have come out and they've chosen another 50 and now all of a sudden, this one's not being done, it's not as popular, the song gets dated, it gets pushed out and they go on to the next one. So, it, yeah, there's plenty of good dances out there that, in fact, when I was teaching locally in California, I purposely would not tell my students who choreographed the dance. Mm. I would just teach it, see if they liked it, and they say, wow, that was a great dance. It's like, yeah, you know who that is? They go, no, it's Christopher Watkins or whatever. And they're like, who's that? I said, exactly. If I would have told you who it was, you never would have done it mm. because it's not one of the stars. But because you kept an open mind, you uh, were able to discover a great dance. They go, yeah. So that I I would urge all instructors to do that because what tends to happen is unless they hear a star's name attached to that, they won't even look at the dance, and they're missing out on some really good dances. So if you're an instructor, try that experiment. Go when you go to a dance event, go sit in the choreography competition. You will discover some really good dances, unknown choreographers, but it would be great for you to take one of theirs. It'd mean the world to them. Probably doesn't mean anything to you because you teach a million dances, but to them, it's very special. Yeah, I've seen that here in uh, a couple of the different ballrooms uh, with a, a dance called "Dance with Me" by uh, Joe Thompson. Uh, well, uh, Haley Quirk has a okay. has some choreography to that for um, for the song "Shut Up and Dance" by Walk the Moon. Okay, and I, I only know her through a friend of a friend. But it's it's been pretty cool, like seeing her dance here at this like worldwide conference of line dance, and multiple people know it. Yep, and it's amazing. Yeah. And, and and being able to give that feedback to the choreographer is very special. So I urge you, if you know people, or even if you don't, if you have their email address, you have their step sheet, and you see stuff like that, please write to them. Mm -hmm. it, it it can't tell you how good it makes them feel. You never know. You know, when you get somebody from the other side of the world, they meet you and then they tell you that they're doing your dance. You had no idea how, what a special feeling that is. And that's not why I choreograph. I choreograph because I enjoy the artistic value of it, um, the creativity, 
and it's an extra bonus when people actually dance your dance. It's like it's, it never gets old. It, you're, you're sitting there and you see a floor full of people and you're like, wow, that's amazing. You know, after seven years, I still am amazed that people want to do it. You know, so it's it's really a special thing. Yeah, and the relationship between the choreographer and the dancers uh, through that dance, I found that. Um, it involves a level of trust because yep. you're, you're trusting that the choreographer is not going to hurt you with what they put into their steps. Right. They're not going to hurt your knees. They're not going to turn you in a way that you get dizzy and right. fall over. So when when you give somebody else that control over your entire body for three minutes, it's right. it's, uh, it's unique. And, and that being said, um, this is where instruction at the beginner level comes in handy. A choreographer will choreograph correctly once they've learned but if the student isn't trained properly, they may not know how to do certain steps prop because maybe their instructor never taught them. Mm. They could still injure themselves. Mm. So there is a lot of responsibility in the dancer themselves. And unfortunately, a lot of times they don't know it. They don't know they're doing something wrong because nobody has taken the time to teach them certain techniques, not to pronate the knee, not to do certain things that's gonna injure them because they're doing it incorrectly. So. More and more you're finding now uh, responsible choreographer instructors recognizing that they were not taught. They, they could see it when they see the student dancing. And like myself, I'll go down and I'll spend a little extra time and say, okay guys, just want to point something out and I will explain how to properly do something, whether it's a turn or whatever it is, so people will not injure their knees, especially their knees or the lower back, because people have, tend to have a lot of injuries there. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Scott Levins and, and Joe Thompson-Samansky. I actually was in a, a class of theirs earlier today where they were talking about the knees and how if, you, if you're doing a, like a swivel, if you're up on your toes and you're swiveling your heels, if you just do it from your feet, it's, it's uh, not the same as when you take it from your hips. You do the rotation the from torque. your hips. Right, and that's the kind of technique that, that they have, yep. that they can offer in, in these kinds of workshops. And, and you'll see really that. Great more and more, especially at, at an event like this level, um, everybody's very conscientious of it. If you were to tell people that go to a lower level event, um, maybe not as many intermediate advanced dancers, they don't want to hear that. They, they don't come for that, just show us a dance, you know, we don't care. Here, people do care, and, you know, that's why they're here. I mean, this is a big conference, like you said, and everybody, most of the, the circuit choreographers and instructors they know that and they spend a little extra time to give out little technique tips and they're very valuable for people so you've seen a lot of venues all over the world you've, you've danced have. pretty much everywhere what makes for the best uh, line dance experience <coughs> DJ uh, that can read the dance dancers and know what it is that is their sweet spot, uh, recognizing their level. So they're, if they're a high beginner, they're not playing nothing but intermediate advanced dances. Um, the number of ballrooms. Some of the best events are one ballroom events. Hmm. Here, it's so big, there's four or five ballrooms going on at one time, and your people are running around. When you have just one ballroom, they have a choice. Take the class or don't. And again, just like unknown choreographers, people will take the class because they have no choice and they discover new choreographers they never would have taken a class from or new types of dancers that they never would have done. Um, also, it's more intimate. Everyone's in one room. You get to know each other. There's a little bit more socializing going on. It's open to dance. You don't have people running from one ballroom to the next to the next. Everybody's in one room. There's more of a party atmosphere. It, it, to me, those are important things that you do. Now, not that you can't have that at a big event, but it's not as nice as a one-room event. Um, social aspect is big. Uh, it depends on what you're looking for as well, because some people enjoy dance vacations. A little bit of dance, a lot of vacation. Cruises are real popular. So it's it's some people really enjoy the hardcore um, competition and they're competing with other dancers. They want to be the best dancers and they look at each other, they're better dancers than them, they work harder, they're competing against each other. Some people like that type of event. 
BNF be what I like. I prefer the social aspect of it, having fun. Nobody's competing. Everybody's, you know, really enjoying it. So one room event is probably the best type that I would recommend for, especially somebody new to the event scene. And what, in what ways have you seen the the lion dance scene change? What, uh, I mean, there's the dances, of course, and then uh, the the venues that have offered it. <clears throat> I, I, I think. People are getting smarter with technology. Mm. In the past, a lot of your time in the evening dances, the social time, was occupied by people doing demonstrations for the next day of classes that will be taught. Um, also, people running from ballroom to ballroom trying to figure out, poking their head and listening, what dance is being done. Okay, I don't know that. Run to another ballroom and do the same thing. Mm. Well, an example using technology, here for instance, uh, all the instructors are asked to be here on a certain day, they get a scheduled time, and they demo all their dances on video. Mm. Then what they do is they put it on television and the in, intra, intra, intranet, and they do it in the loop. So this way, uh, from the comfort of your own room, you can turn on the television, and you can watch all the dances that are gonna be taught for that weekend. Mm. That doesn't cut into the time for your dancing every single night. At the leisure, at your leisure, you can watch it on television and you can see all the dances that are gonna be done. That's taking advantage of technology. Another thing that you're gonna find at the bigger events that people are turning to is they have the big monitors up on, uh, in the conference room that will show all the dances that are coming up, the next 10 dances. So then you could look at it and say, oh, okay, I don't know the next five, let me check the other room. You're not running from the room, you already know what's gonna be done. You go to the next room and say, oh, okay, I know the next one, I'll just hang out here until they play my dance. While they've taken that to another level, now they're putting two monitors or two big screens in every room. So if there's two ballrooms going on, you don't need to go from ballroom to ballroom. You can stay put and see what's being done in the other room, as well as uh, the room that you're currently in. Now, that's, that's more advanced. Now, they have an app that somebody created out in Europe called DJ Feed. And what that does is it allows you to be at the event without being at the event. Or if you're at the event, it allows you not to have to go up to the DJ booth and put your request on. What you do is you actually text it. And it goes on, it goes to the DJ, goes on to his database, and his database keeps track of how many times the song has been requested. So he can anchor it and, and say, okay, well, this has been requested 10 times. I guess I'll put it up on top. I'm gonna go ahead and, and, and do this. Everybody can look on their app and take a look at what's been done. It's like, oh, I shouldn't request that. It's already been played twice. Um, they also can keep track of what the next upcoming dances are. They can just look here. They don't have to look on the screen, just on their phone, and they can see what's going on. You can't make it to an event? No problem. From your home, you go to DJ Feed, you go, well, I wonder what they're doing. Oh, that's kind of cool. Okay, those were popular. Maybe I'll learn them to do it. So technology, I think people are embracing it and they're starting to use it to their advantage. Have you seen the people change at all? Yeah. Um, <coughs> when I entered, there were certain demographics and they were older and a lot of them are stopping they, they're not dancing as much and I'm starting to see a lot more younger folk getting into it um, probably in the past the demographic was uh, average age was about 55 and now at a lot of events I'm starting to see it in the 40s a uh, lot more 18 19 20 year olds are coming to the events um, so that's that's really nice to see at least we know there's another generation as we move out that's coming up that's going to keep the sport going strong. Um, I don't see line dancing going anywhere anytime soon. As long as we can keep bringing new blood, new people into the sport, and they can have the passion that I've seen in some of the younger folks, this is going to be around for a long time. How can we as members of the line dance community help with that and uh, keep things strong? <laughs> One of the things is that has always been since I've started is how welcoming you are to the new dancers. Now, I remember starting and going to certain bars to go dance, and people are very territorial at some. They do not, they're not friendly, they're not showing you. Maybe it's a dance you've never seen, you do a different version, they don't try to help you. That's not good. People will get turned off by it. I've been to other clubs, they recognize you're new, they come up, they greet you right away, they want to get to know you, hey, we're going to do this dance, you know, well, I don't, I don't know, this is what I know, no, you know what, here, stick with me, I'll show you how to do it. So being accommodating, friendly, welcoming, this will keep them coming back for more, because it's that sense of community, you know, the line dance family, if you will, that's very important to keep this thing strong, not 
and elitist attitude. I'm better than you. You're a beginner. I don't want to be bothered with you. I forget it. You know, you're not at my level. Uh, the attitudes, uh, the humility has to stay in place, and you can't fake that. Um, you either have it or you don't. Um, but most people that enter this, that stick around for the long haul, are are naturally humble, and you're going to find that, and you probably have found that as you uh, have spoke to many of these choreographers and instructors and dancers for that matter. Is there anything that we should be discussing more within the community to? Uh to maybe solve some of the problems that yeah, if you could solve how to regulate how many dances come out on a daily, weekly basis, you you would solve a big problem. Days yeah. passed, there was only so many dances coming out. There's five dances that came out these two months. Okay, well we're all going to do them. So anywhere you went in the country, anywhere you went in the world, everybody learned those five dances. Everybody knew them. You could go anywhere in the world, and everyone's going to dance the same stuff. While there's no regulation, there's no way. Of, there is, a, there is a way of doing it, but right now there isn't. Anybody that can put steps on a sheet and put the mus their music to it, all of a sudden is a choreographer, and they're pushing their dances. And now, I think it should be like schooling. I think the competition circuit is great. I lived through it. I went through it. It was a great learning experience for me. I think that that should be your, your training ground. You should have to go through that. And there should be a scoring system. Uh, judging should be done a certain way. All the competitions are slightly different. They, there's different ways of judging them. Some they just view you. Some they actually learn to dance. Some they they go by appearance, which they shouldn't. Uh, but if there was a uniform way of judging people, so this way, just like going to school, they could graduate. And once they've gone through that, then they get their certificate and then now they can enter the world of choreography and then people can take it serious. That'll eliminate everybody trying to get into this without going through some kind of training ground and people will recognize it. They say, you know what, they've gone through the training, they've done this, so let's take a look at it. Now you're going to slow down the, um, the amount of choreographers that enter the market as opposed to right now that there is no regulation, anybody can enter it and that's what's killing the sport. And you hear so many people say that there's just way too many dances. It's getting overwhelming, and that turns people off. So as seasoned choreographers and instructors, we recognize that. We listen to what people are saying. What we're doing is we're bringing back classics. Can't tell you how many times people say, oh, I used to love this dance. I can't remember. I wish we would do more of these. So everybody now, you'll find them. It's the trend. Um, not only bringing new stuff, but they bring one or maybe two classics back to teach it. And people are very happy with that. So now um, people are feeling like they have more control because it's a little bit of familiarity. They don't have to constantly learn new dances. Mm -hmm. And is there a place where where choreographers and instructors and the line dance uh, vets can discuss things like this? Is there a central place where uh, these <coughs> ideas can be shared? You know, not formally. Mm -hmm. It's all done informally. Conversations that you have at events social media but that's not the best forum mm. that's usually more of introducing new dances or talking about certain issues you're not going to there, there really isn't a way there's the nta the ucwdc there's various other organizations that all want to control the line dance world mm. european Europe has their own version of UCWC. Mm -hmm. UDWC is supposed to be the world championships. Mm -hmm. Well, ish mm -hmm. is what I put there because the Europeans have their own championships and they call it the European World Championships. Right. Ish. Mm -hmm. You know, none of them come over here, so how could it possibly be the world championships? So there's all these organizations, along with NTA and these other organizations, that you talk about writing. Um, standards for dance steps while there's at least five, six, I can't even think of them right now, that all claim their, their version is the correct one and everybody else's is incorrect. And none of them have been successful. You have European, it's got three different ones, there's like five different ones here in the States and everybody's pushing, 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 trying to get theirs to win out over everybody to make up the standard and nobody's buying it. So I don't know if it's a day late, dollar short. Um, how can somebody wrap their arms around everybody and come up with one set standard um, that may be mission impossible I don't know if that can happen so 
what I've seen in the past seven years, it's again regionalized depending on where you're at, um, what is going to stick. You know, and the NTA, the UCWCs of the world, none of them have been successful in taking world dominance and making theirs the standard that everybody lives by. <clears throat> now, if somebody wanted to uh, open a conversation with you, for example, uh, how would they best contact you? Website. I have a website. If uh, if you type in Ruben Luna Line Dance, my website will show up. It's the letter N, the number two, linedance.net. So my contact information on there, my cell phone number, my email is on there, and I'm very good at responding. I always love helping people out. Um, I remember when I first started, all the choreographers, instructors encouraging me, helping me, and I'm doing the same. I give back just like they have done, and I'm hoping that they're going to pay it for it as well. Where do you see unexplored potential in line dance? One that I would, well, two. I'll think of two. Um, the first one is instruct virtual instruction. Mm. Flying us to Europe, bringing a European choreographer over here can be expensive. What if you have the big screen monitor, just like we have now at dance events, but it's for the people in the back that can't see you, they'll look up at the monitor so they can see the instructions. What if you are in England and you're doing the demo out of your garage or a dance studio that's being live fed to Las Vegas? Now you're doing instruction. You have a camera so you could see the dancers. You're doing it from the comfort of your own home, hometown, without having to leave. And you can give instruction. Would that be inexpensive? Yeah, it would be a heck of a lot cheaper than actually flying them over here. Um, that's one area. Nobody's done it. Be kind of cool to see. Mm -hmm. The other one, like yourself, doing an algorithm to do choreography where people could actually learn from that. I think you could use that as a learning tool mm -hmm. for upcoming choreographers so they can almost like test it. They choreograph something, they put, if you could somehow put their choreography into some kind of data bank that they could bump it up against it and it'll grade it. It'll say, your choreography is at a 70% 70, 70 uh, compatibility and that's through whatever you put in this data bank that's going to measure it. So unless you score 90%, then you shouldn't release your dance. That, I think, would be really cool if we could do that. And for, if anybody thinks that that sort of thing, oh, that's impossible, you can't, you can't do uh, choreography that way. One, like, just a, a simple example of how, how you can uh, have something that seems like just wrong in choreography principles. Like, if you, let's say you did a, a rolling grapevine to the right and then immediately did a rolling grapevine to the left, with no transitional step to get your momentum back in the opposite right. direction, that would be a big red flag right Correct. there. Correct, and, and th that's the, the thing too. You know, your uh, your balance, your your weight changes, because that that would have to be in the program, so people can identify that. Um, you know, you you are on your left, and then all your weights on your left foot, and then you're asking them to turn left. You, know, you can't do that because it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think those two things. Um, would help improve there, one, one as a learning tool the other one well both as a learning tool um, one virtual to make it uh, more inexpensive and now you can get the top-notch people at a local venue you could do it at your dance studio and now you know instead of paying the big fee they're willing to do it because it's going to take an hour of their time for one-fifth one-fourth the cost in a general sense what do you predict or hope for the future of line dance um That it continues for many years to come, and not only myself could continue to get find joy in it, but we will get an onslaught of new dancers that will continue the trend and continue the sport for many years to come. The joy that I have gotten out of it, I would hope many, many more people will be able to do that in generations to come. That's what I would love to see. Are there ways that it's changed you while you've been in it that you would hope uh, other people can experience as well? 
I, I think it gave me more confidence to be myself. People are very accepting. You get all walks of life. When you're here, people are dancers on the dance floor. You could be dancing next to a lawyer, a doctor, a brain surgeon. You have no idea who there are, nor do you care. But because you've learned how to communicate with them on a com on common ground, which is dancing, and then you realize what they have done or do for a living, you realize that they're just people. They give you the confidence to be able to. There's so many people that maybe they're not well educated, they're not schooled, and they see somebody who has a master's or they're a lawyer or they're a doctor and they're intimidated. They, they would never talk to them, their circle of friends because they're more blue collar or whatever. That changes them when they come into this world. That gives them the confidence in outside line dance world to be able to communicate and talk to whoever they want. So that's something really special. Is there anything that you would request of the people who are listening right now? To, any ask that you would have of them? Yeah, don't be blinded by name, choreographers, stars, superstars. Give everybody a chance. Um, you're going to be surprised that there's a lot of unnamed people that are extremely talented, but just because they're not a name, they are not being given the opportunity to have their dances done. So be open-minded and look at choreography for what it is and not for the name of the person who choreographed it. All right. One last question for you. <clears throat> you've seen a lot of dances. You've been a lot of places. What dance would you recommend that everybody learn right now? Have fun, go mad. Mm. Classic has been around for 20 years. It's going to be around for another 20 years. Really? If you don't know that dance, it's never too late to learn it because it will not go out of style. Every single event I have ever gone to, that dance is done. Scott Blevins, who, who did it, has done Dizzy would be another one. Joe Thompson, that's been done forever and a day, and it's going to continue to be done forever and a day. So you have to learn two dances that you will not be wasting your time, and you could rest assured it will be done at every event. I would say those two. All right. Well, got some homework for our listeners right now. That's good. Thank you very much for coming on Thank to you our very show much. today. Appreciate and, it. Uh, yeah, I, I guess we'll see uh, the rest of you next time.